Trollodren, Legends and Lore. Episode 16, Astrolog. Well, hello and welcome to Trolladron Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey. And just for one last time here, I want to make an announcement with the upcoming, or I should say ongoing, promotional efforts for Trial of the Wizard King, the second book in the Wizard King trilogy. I'm kind of wrapping things up now and finishing up the promotional aspect and marketing side of it as it's been released last month in March. Again, it's the second book in the Wizard King trilogy. The first book is still available and in stores. And I've been uh, you know, selling copies of that too, getting it in people's hands as well as we do the upcoming work for book two. I also wanted to make you aware that book three, Triumph of the Wizard King, is also available for pre-order. And that is also on my website along with all the books, chadcorry.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And on that website, you'll find information about the book, sample chapters, uh, even sample readings, reviews, links to places where you can buy it, a uh, whole bunch of other informational tidbits that be of a possible benefit to you in making more informed decisions and if it's something you want to check out. It also should be available in libraries. I'm talking about book one and book two. Book three is not not released yet until August 31st, but it, like I said, it can be pre-ordered in all the various formats that it's coming out in, which is print digital and audio as well. So I want to make sure you're aware of that and thank you again for all the support and help people have been making up until this point. I really do appreciate it and I hopefully I can share more information about that on other episodes in different podcasts in the near future. But for now let's transition into what we're talking about in particular today which is Astrolok, the fourth god born from Zora and Vakar who were the first to steal divinity, if you want to call it that, for themselves and impart it to their offspring. And these now are members of the Trolodrome Pantheon, the group of gods that we will be talking about in slightly greater detail in the episodes for this season. Again, as I mentioned in previous episodes, we're not going to be able to get to all the particular gods this time out because there's so many of them, and I want to talk about some different things as well. So probably have two seasons of this. But we're going to cover the major players with this season in particular, and Astrolok is no exception. And who is Astrolok? That's a very good question. Well, he is part of the Dark Gods. And that kind of sounds ominous and kind of spooky, right? And he probably has a good reason for getting that kind of understanding or appreciation, I guess, or apprehension, if you want to call it that from those on Trollodon, because obviously death is not something that people are super excited about or even really pumped up to talk about in general, and that is what he is the god of, among other things. But before we get into explaining that, let's talk about his relational aspects to the rest of the gods. He is brother to Girthgal, Ganatar, Draden, Othon, Ceredel, Asora, and Cuthon. And he's the uncle to Perloza, Remenos, Casilla, and Darian, and Shirill. And as I mentioned, he's also one of the Dark Gods. He also has a unique distinction between him and Girthgal, 
as being one of the bachelor gods, although he's a little bit different than Girthgal in the fact that he never really took a harem and never really sired any children. So I guess Girthgal stands apart in that uh, extreme or that extent in the family. And he is, like I said, he's the god of afterlife, death, and journeys. And he's kind of a unique situation in the pantheon in that he, if you want to think about it, well, Ganatar is technically the, the king of the, the pantheon or the guy that kind of maintains the, the, the order and structure of everything. They are still independent deities. They have their own independent realms and, and empires, if you will, that they run you know, independently and collectively. They work together to form the greater good. But if you want to argue and make the point, he, Astrolak, might be the most powerful because he ultimately decides where everyone goes when they die. And or what happens in the afterlife. And that's kind of a unique position to be in, maybe a powerful position to be in for him. And that could maybe explain why some of the people in the Pantheon just kind of let him do his thing and don't get too too in his face about it because ultimately he could be deciding where they, they spend the rest of their afterlife. And yes, gods do have a possible afterlife. We'll talk about maybe in the future. I don't want to get into the specifics of all all the great topics and things we can get into. There's a whole lot of stuff, very nebulous things we can get into. But like I said, I want to make these episodes more kind of laser-focused on just introducing who these gods are and give you a greater feel and a flavor for them that you can't necessarily access or get that information from the website or from the books at this point. So again, he's the god of the afterlife, death, and journeys. And a lot of people, if they do accept him and have his religion kind of taken on, in different areas. It's usually more of a cultic or a small type of organization. His followers are called Asorlans, and basically they are, how do you put it? I don't want to say like funerary directors <laughs> for the most part, but that's a function they serve. Uh, they do tend to take care of graveyards, places, uh, provide burial services or or rites and things for those that have died that might not have been able to get rites. Uh, they also are kind of more or less known as helping people on journeys. Again, like many religions on Trollodon, which I'm not going to, we're not going to get into for this particular episode. There's different sects who, who worship him different ways, and one of the more popular, I guess, if you can say that, is those that uh, the wayfarers who who follow the idea that he's the god of journeys, because life is just a journey into death, and death is a a journey into the afterlife, and, and so on and so forth. And so they help provide a you know means to help people along in their journey in life, whether that's metaphysical, philosophical, or practical, again, based upon who these people are, the different sects and things like that, that is another form of way people allow him into their lives or communities. It's not as, as supposedly dark and, and gritty as <laughs> some people might think of the god of death as being. And on the other side of the coin, there are people that literally just really get off on and death worship, death cults and things, and like to promote death. And so there's another group that that gets into that. And that, unfortunately, because negative news tends to override good news more often than not, that is what people tend to propagate and, and gossip about in general, is these people who come together more or less in a cultic type of organization to promote basic death and destruction as they as they see it, because there isn't really, like I said, an over-organized religion focused on that type of propagation of ideology in general, at least as far as the people know on, on Trollodon. So that's, like I said, in a nutshell, what, what his worshipers are like. But the god himself is kind of, I don't want to say aloof, he just has a certain perspective on, on, on existence, shall we say. 
He always had an interest in the disillusionment of things. Maybe not a morbid, you know, obsessive kind of compulsive concept of it or obsession with it to learn more about it or do it or enact it, whatever, but just learning more about what it was, how it operated, and how it functioned, and, you know, the usual stuff than that. And, and that gave him access to the cosmic element of death. But as you know, or maybe you don't know, if you don't go back and check out previous episodes, the cosmic element of death is more or less uh, the heart, the beating heart of, of Null, who is the, uh, the cosmic entity. Uh, he, the, the cosmic entity of death, basically given substance and form and, and existence, is, is Null. And as such, Astrolak is, is special. There are only two deities so far that have this in the pantheon, this unique privilege or relationship with the two cosmic entities. The other one is Asura. Uh, Astrolak basically made a pact with Null to receive his induction, if you will, or access to the cosmic element of death, and kind of was his mentor. And so he's learning and teamed up with, with Null for a lot of things, and that's where he got his connection to the cosmic element of death. Because basically, if you think about it, if you're trying to take and dominate this cosmic element, which is actually a living element now, because Null is the personification of that, he, it's not going to want to be dominated. So it's more or less a, a cooperative effort or collaborative agreement that they've worked out where they've, you know, he'll be taught by Null and learn some things and, and sometimes occasionally work to the betterment of what Null is wanting to accomplish in the uh, greater cosmos. And as you can imagine, that puts them at odds at some points in time with the Pantheon in general, because there's some things that the Pantheon might not want to see destroyed or hindered or what have you, and he kind of kind of has to put himself sometimes in opposite positions or find ways to seek the middle ground and such to keep everybody happy and, and, and so on and so forth. So generally, that's kind of where he gets his established parameters as far as what he does, what he doesn't do. His realm is called Mortis, which if you've been reading the books, we talk about a lot. It's basically the catch-all for, you know, I'm going to send you to Mortis, basically send you to, to the afterlife or whatever you want to say when, when people die. And that is his realm where ultimately everyone goes when they die for judgment. And he has unique privilege, or some might say, you know, curse of being able to judge or having to judge all living things that come through that realm and then assign them to their afterlife. And that's because of the current dispensation that has been enacted. And again, I'm not going to get into all all the specifics on that, but he is basically put in charge of monitoring and directing all the people that have died and life forms that have died into their perfect afterlife. And he does that with the Lords of Death, who work with him to accomplish that. And that's pretty much it. His realm is a very empty, Spartan type of existence. There's hardly anything naturally living there, you know, quote-unquote living outside of him and the Lords of Death. And then, of course, his followers, the Asorlans, who go there when they die, and they basically help usher in the various populations to wherever they're supposed to go. And that's their big, big happy joy moment for the rest of their life. Everyone else, though, just kind of passes through, and they just kind of give it a feeding, fleeting momentary glance and kind of thankfully move on. But that's, that's the extent of what he does, and as such, like I said, he kind of has a powerful position in the Pantheon, in the cosmos, since he kind of controls where everything is going to go in the afterlife and directs traffic as far as death and decay and stuff like that. So, again, maybe not necessarily the most exciting deity for a lot of people. Obviously, they're going to shun him. 
to most extent, as most would, because they're not really perceived in a positive way. But he has an important, relevant part in the greater cosmos and the Pantheon itself and on Trollodon in general. So let's talk about some of his titles. He is also known as Lord of Death, the Gatekeeper, Harvester of Souls, Judge of the Spirit, Lord of Mortis, and Master of Oblivion. He is known for also for his symbol, which is called the Silver Cross, and basically it consists of two sickles with opposing faces crossing over each other. And the symbol is always done in a black background with the silver crossing uh, sickles, and it's also carved into a silver pendant and placed on beige straps of cloth or silver chains for priests to wear as their holy symbols. And again, you're not necessarily going to see everyone who follows him having those holy symbols. Some of that varies based upon their organization and time of the, the world setting and, and such. But that's basically who he is, what he's about, how he's perceived generally. is He, he can be perceived a lot of different ways, but in general, he's a pretty good-looking good looking dude. Again, like all first-generation titans, he's 15 feet tall. One of the two gods who have a shaved head in the pantheon, the other being Cyrodiil, of course, but he's a shaved head. He has piercing blue eyes, and he's rather tan for an individual. I mean, it looks like, it looks like if you had to guess his skin tone, he probably might have been a fair-skinned individual at one point in time, but he's very uh, tan-looking in general. He tends to adopt some darker shades when he dresses, kind of more fanciful, rich clothing with for adornment. He usually likes rubies, silver, onyx jewelry, some type of death or skull motif, but it's not garish or grotesque. He's actually very stylish in his his endeavors and his ensemble. So he's kind of, not what you would expect from what you could think of a Lord of Death, this rotting decay kind of thing. He's not anything like that. He looks very healthy, attractive, uh, the hawkish nose, like I don't know if I mentioned that before, it's kind of the hawkish nose with bright eyes and very very keen as far as how he dresses and, like I said, presents himself in general. So, again, that's kind of him in a nutshell. He's not, like I said, something you readily see in most areas. If people who interact with him in general are probably more hidden locations, cultic in general, and Trollodon. But as far as the greater cosmos goes, he has a place, he has a position, and people aren't really afraid to interact with him. He's not really some dark, depressing, macabre kind of character either. He's actually very very sharp and astute, maybe even erudite in some ways, people might say. Again, not something you think when you think, you know, God of death. Um, he's actually kind of, I don't want to say like energetically chipper, but he, he's not necessarily a big downer either. So he's kind of, like I said, more of even keel, thoughtful, intelligent type of individual. Who, Again, you wouldn't necessarily think them as the Lord of death in, in general if you ran across them. So I think we're going to wrap up this particular episode of this podcast. Thank you again for listening. And again, do send off any questions or comments or things you want to have answered or uh, share feedback on. I do appreciate that. Otherwise, I think we'll, like I said, get into some more fun uh, parts of the family here, the Divine Family, with the next episode next time. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.